Welcome to Dear Prudence. I'm your Prudence, Janae Desmond Harris. Today, we'll be offering readers advice about whether it's okay to reject holiday gifts, how to cope when participating in a charity turkey giveaway pisses you off, and what to do when your best friend won't read your book. Here to help me out are Kate Spencer and Dory Shafrir. They are the co-hosts of Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. Dory also co-hosts Matt and Dory's Excellent Adventure, which is all about navigating infertility and IVF. They're both authors who've written both memoirs and novels, and they're both my good friends in my head because I have been listening to their podcast for so many years. Thank you for joining me, guys. Oh my gosh, thanks for having us. Thank you. This is a real honor, so I hope to do our best. I hope you do your best, too. So before we get started, (laughs) um, I'm going to ask each of you to give just one piece of unsolicited advice. Kate, we'll start with you. Sure. My advice is to always assume that whoever you are dealing with in your day-to-day life is having the uh, the worst day of their lives. So whenever I have an interaction that is, especially if it's upsetting or off-putting, I always try to remember that I do not know necessarily know what the other person is going through and to try to kind of mitigate my response and my big feelings with that in mind. And if you can't tell, I have two children. So this is um, probably a conversation that I have a lot with them also, but it is something that has really made a difference for me to kind of take a pause and like consider what somebody else might be experiencing that I am not aware of that they might be bringing to whatever interaction we are having. So smart. It's not always personal. Yeah. And I'm sure that lets you be more patient and understanding with other people and also stops you from feeling offended and upset and like the world is against you every day. Yes. I think you nailed it on all levels, right? And it it just reminds me to be also just a bit more empathetic to the experience of others when I am, you know, often in my head and just thinking about myself. Totally. Okay, Dory, what about you? Okay, my piece of unsolicited advice is that no is a complete sentence. Mm. And I think that people often feel the need to like over-explain themselves when they are setting a boundary. And I think sometimes you can just set the boundary. Yeah, like one of the questions we're talking about, I think mm-hmm. um, that's going to come up and be really helpful, but I'll, I'll, I'll wait until we get to it. <laughs> okay. With that, Kate and Dory and I will dive into your questions after a short break. Can't get enough Dear Prudence? Then you should definitely join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. You'll get to hear me answer an extra question every week just for members. With your subscription, you get ad-free listening across the Slate network and unlimited reading on the Slate site, including all Dear Prudence columns, past and present. Go to slate.com forward slash Plus to sign up. It's just $15 for your first three months. Again, That's slate.com forward slash prudy plus. Welcome back. You're listening to Dear Prudence, and I'm here with the co-hosts of Forever 35, Kate Spencer and Dory Shafrir. Let's get started with our first letter. It's titled, No Turkey. 
love my mother-in-law. She is a generous and kind woman, but I am tired of getting roped into her charity acts. We have a large outside freezer and two smokers, so on Thanksgiving, we would traditionally bring the turkey over to her house. Last year, she came up with the scheme to get very cheap turkeys the week before Thanksgiving and put on social media about giving away hot turkeys to people who couldn't afford ones themselves and got my husband and me to make and deliver them. Rather than sleeping in and enjoying our holiday, we were up at dawn cooking turkeys and delivering them to the needy of our community. Half the people had better cars than us, and the other half were rude, greedy jerks. One lady changed the address at the last minute, requiring us to drive across town. Another refused to answer her cell or door and then cursed us out when we refused to come back. The last one sat her ass on her front porch and stared at the hot turkey, asking if that was it. No, thank you. Not even a happy Thanksgiving. My mother-in-law brushed this all off as charity is for the sake of charity, not gratitude. I call it sick of being scammed. My husband and his mother grew up in extreme poverty and were even homeless for a time. I understand the impulse to pay it forward, but I am not doing this again. Short of threatening to fly out to see my sister, how can I salvage our holiday? I was just laughing listening to it. She just kept saying hot turkey. Like, it makes a big difference the turkeys were hot. Um, Anyway, I felt this letter was giving, um, I saw someone using food stamps to buy crab and it ruined my day vibes. You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Just because someone has a nice car, that does not, you can't ascertain anybody's financial needs or ability based on their cars. Right. I mean, I think that if someone signs up to get a free turkey, you, a free hot turkey, you can pretty much rest assured that for whatever reason, even if the reason is they spent all their money by mistake and now Thanksgiving is tough, they are in that moment in need of the free turkey and you're totally. helping them by providing the food. Yeah. And I do think the act of giving has to be done without any expectation. Right. Right. Like of their reaction or their response or whether they're going to be rude or or there is kind of this... Um, you know, expectation that folks should be grateful mm-hmm. when receiving something. And I think if you're going to participate in this kind of act of giving to the community, you have to be able to go into it without doing it from a place of not needing anything in return from these people. I agree with all of this. I also feel like this letter writer is completely within her rights to tell her mother-in-law, I don't want to do this anymore. Absolutely. That's what I was thinking when you said no as a complete sentence. I mean, the conversation next year can be, are you ready to deliver the hot turkeys? No. No. I'm not not into it this year. I mean, I agree. I I love the mother-in-law's perspective. Totally. Um, I think that the letter writer sounds grouchy and ungenerous and definitely not in the Thanksgiving spirit, but she's allowed to feel that way. I think it would be better. I mean, if I had to choose, it would be nice if everyone had Kate's perspective that, you know, charity is for the sake of charity, mm-hmm. not for the reaction, not for the thanks, but we have to deal in reality. The letter writer does not have that perspective and they do not want to do this. And I don't think it needs to, I don't think we have to get to threatening to fly out no. to see my sister so quickly when I'll pass next year is available. The letter writer didn't, really touch on this, but I personally would be curious, like, where is the husband in all of this? Mm-hmm. Mm. Like, is the husband pressuring the letter writer to do this? 
What is the husband's relationship with the mother-in-law? Will the husband be Mm -hmm. disappointed if the letter writer is like, pass? I don't know. Just like another dynamic at play that is not really touched on here. Oh, I I also wonder... It sounds like part of the frustration is the kind of perhaps disorganization of the process. And I wonder if there was a way to work together with the mother-in-law to find something that you can do on on Thanksgiving that like honors her and maybe this person's husband's desire to give back, but isn't like just cooking turkeys on in the driveway and <laughs> handing like there's there's so many organizations that I feel like are all, already have systems in place to support people um are, you know around the year but during the Thanksgiving season that maybe you could you know if you want to take this on you could say we're not I don't want to do the, this turkey plan this year but what about we do this that's already planned and we already know where the food is going to go and they're going to handle delivering it. You know, there's so many options here that I feel like you could kind of come to a middle ground. Such a good idea. The mother-in-law is not required to start her own nonprofit. Totally. To give back. Um, this is certainly not. <laughs> yeah. What you mentioned in the beginning about like the fixation on the hot turkey, I think is so, mm-hmm. is so apt. <laughs> like why are they cooking them that morning? Right. Can't they cook them like a day or even two days ahead and people can reheat them like <laughs> or not cook them or not cook like them. i feel like, like <laughs> aren't typically turkeys given away cold or frozen I, and I then the recipient so. can yes can cook them at their leisure yes that seems easier and more practical i think there are there are a lot of ways that this could be better i will say it sounds like the letter writer just absolutely gets nothing out of helping others and won't be satisfied with anything that involves work and some inconvenience and not um, being enthusiastically thanked by every individual. And that's just not a realistic expectation. I was wondering if maybe they could, you know, make the turkeys cold and do this the day before. So Thanksgiving isn't ruined. Mm. Or even, I mean, I don't know what their family arrangement is or who else is involved or what their traditions are, but could the letter writer stay home and get Thanksgiving dinner ready? While mm. husband and mom are running around town, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I didn't, it's not really my thing to deliver turkeys. It stresses me out. I don't like the interactions. You two go do that. And when you come in from the cold, I'll have the dinner ready. I like that. I like this. I like this. I think that could definitely work. But I do think that the conversation should be with the husband rather than the mom. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of my general rule about conflicts with in-laws. I think you want to you want to go through the person who's related, if at all possible. Yes, Indeed. strong agree. So let a writer start there. And you're obviously angry and frustrated and irritated thinking about what happened last time. Um, but you don't need to hop on a plane and see your sister. You don't need to make threats. There are like three or four different ways that um, you could do this differently. So make a few suggestions. Tell your husband how you feel. And I definitely don't think it has to be as bad as it was last year, but these people can still get their turkeys. Okay. Our next question is titled Unread Author. I finished writing my first book last year. It was years in the making, and I'm so proud of it. When I first finished it, I sent the manuscript to my best friend to read. Not only is she in the book, it's nonfiction. But the work is dedicated in part to her, and there's a heartfelt section about her in the acknowledgments. My friend is a huge reader, 
We met while we both worked in the publishing industry, and in the years since, I gave her the manuscript. She's read a lot of books, but not mine. The other day, I mentioned a story that I talked about in the first few pages, and she had no idea what I was referring to. I realized she hadn't even opened it. The book has become a very big deal in my life recently. It got picked up by a major publisher a few months ago, and I've shed many tears for my friend about how much it means to me. I know it might be petty or silly, but realizing she never tried reading it hurts a ton. It's also making me reluctant to share this exciting time of my life with her because I feel as though she doesn't care. I brought this up gently the other night and said that I felt hurt and confused. She just said she's been busy and that she wants to read the book when she properly has time for it. We haven't talked about it since, and things feel weird between us. What should I do? Do I press the issue further or just accept that my friend isn't interested? So you have no idea how excited I was when I found this letter and knew you two were coming on the podcast. So you two are good friends who are both authors. Um, One thing I love about your friendship, or at least what I perceive about your friendship from the podcast, is I feel like you are so um, radically accepting of each other and empathetic toward each other. Neither one of you ever seems to be trying to change the other one or, or criticizing the other one. I love that for you, said sincerely. It's kind of a big part of your relationship. Thank you. So kind. That is really nice. That said, I have to know, I'll start with Dory. If you were in the letter writer's position, you wrote a book, it had a part about Kate in it, it was partially dedicated to her, it was sitting on her desk and she obviously had not read it, what would you do? So this is tough because I have written a memoir not only do I have, you know, Forever 35, but I also have a podcast that's about a very personal thing in my life, you know, Mm -hmm. infertility and IVF. And I had to like very quickly come to terms with the fact that not everyone is going to listen to your podcast. Not everyone is going to read your book. Your friend, I mean, like your close friends and that's okay. Like you have to let it go. I think, um, I will say like, I have no idea what your friend's motives are. I cannot, you know, I, I I can't say. I do think for some people, it makes them very uncomfortable to read about themselves. Even if mm. it's in like a very positive way. It, it, like I could see, I could see your friend just feeling like so overwhelmed. And she is probably also worried that she's not going to like it. And that if she reads it and she doesn't like it, what is she going to say to you? Oh, wow. I had not even thought about that. So interesting. Like, I remember when my husband read my novel, he read it like right before it came out. And, you know, it had gone through like many drafts and galleys and like all, like there were many opportunities for him to read it. He was like, not that I thought it would be bad, but I was like afraid. Like I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to lie to you if I didn't like it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I was afraid to read it but I like it. (laughs) But like, he was like really like genuinely concerned about that. Like it wasn't, Mm. it wasn't just like an excuse. Mm -hmm. So again, I have no idea if that's what's going on here, but like, I'm just saying it could be. And kind of like Kate's unsolicited advice, like you don't know what's going on with your friend. 
you don't know if all these thoughts are going through her mind. Like, just because she's read other books, like, doesn't mean she, like, <laughs> that, like, it's kind of apples and oranges. Um, and, you know, I think as a writer, you're going to have this experience a lot. Like, I'm assuming you have more than one friend. And, like, not a, not all of your friends are going to read your book. And you have to be okay with that. It's so true. I mean, there's so much material out there um, to read. And especially when it comes to podcasts, you can only listen to so much. You only have so many hours in the day when you can have something in your ears. Um, I can say this because I know this friend will not listen to this podcast. But I have a very close friend who I adore, who is always there for me. And she was actually giving me advice about something in my life recently and said, you know, Carolyn Hacks writes amazing advice at the Washington Post. She writes this advice column and she always like ties it to a larger philosophy about relationships. And I really think you would benefit from it. And then she stopped and said, I mean, I know you write an advice column too. And Whoa. this is paywall. I don't know. I feel like <laughs> I a hit paywall. a paywall at Slate or <laughs> something happened. Oh um, my gosh, I really need so to read Prudy. Um, and I love this woman. I know that she cares about me so much. Yes. I know that she is unlikely to ever read what I write. And it's like Kate would say, not at all personal. So that makes a lot of sense to me. I do think when it's kind of your one book and you've handed it to someone and said, this is really special to me and you're in it, will you read it? It's a little bit tougher. I came up with a couple of excuses for the friend in my head. One was jealousy. So letter writer says they both work in publishing, which tells me it's possible that um, the friend has some literary aspirations of her own and maybe has not had the same level of success. So it could be like triggering or painful to confront the fact that her friend has reached this milestone that she hasn't with writing a book. The other one, much weaker excuse, is just that she's not in the mood for that kind of reading. The way I am, I go down rabbit holes with like genres and types of books, and they don't always line up with the person's book that was just published, who I kind of know. Um, So I don't always read books when they first come out if I'm not in the mood. I wait until I'm craving that type of reading. So that's not as strong of an excuse, but it could be something that's going on. Anyway, Kate, I want to go to you. Oh, well, I I just would say my memoir, which was my first book, is about grief and the death of my mom. And it's called The Dead Moms Club. And it's not always a light and fuzzy read. And I begrudge no one if they do not want to read it. You know, we have such limited free time that I truly respect everyone's, the individual's desire with what they want to do with that time. Would it mean a lot to me if, if I had written a book and a friend was a part of it and mentioned in it and, you know, in the acknowledgments? Of course. And I can, I totally validate this person's hurt feelings, but I really agree that it is not necessarily personal. It doesn't mean it doesn't feel that way. And I look, I'm a big feelings person. I take every, you know, every like sneeze personally. So I understand where this, this um, person, the letter writer is coming from. I would suggest taking your friend at their word that they want to read the book when they have time for it. And I think if you get a copy of it, you know, a galley, or even when it's published, send them a copy with a note saying, you know, tag, put a little bookmark or sticker on the pages that mention them and the acknowledgement and just say like, you know, you mean so much to me. I wanted you to see where you were in the book. Here you go. 
And that way, like, I think, and I think you can say very directly, again, why it would mean a lot for them to read it. But, you know, we don't know what this book is about. And I think like Dory said, it can be really like, this could be about a very sensitive or painful experience that might be challenging for somebody to relive. I I see both sides, which I know is never like the way to go, but I do kind of, I do see it. And I, I think, um, well, one, congratulations to the letter writer for getting picked up by a major publisher. And I also would give your friend opportunity to show up for you in other ways. Just because they aren't reading this, right? Like, let's let's judge them on the whole of how they show up as a friend and not just this one thing. Really great advice. I love that. Um, and yeah, we can see both sides. We're not Judge Judy. We don't have to have <laughs> someone win. Um, <laughs> I wish. I wish I was. If only. <laughs> Um, so the letter writer asks, do I press the issue further? I like Kate's gentle pressing yes. further. I don't think that having another confrontation saying, I'm really upset that you haven't read the book. I can't believe it, um, is going to help. I also don't think just accept that my friend isn't interested is the right way to think about it. I don't think it's a matter of accepting that she's not interested. I think it's a matter of accepting that she's not in a place to read it right now for reasons that you don't know and that don't mean that she doesn't care about you or your work. I do like Kate's idea of just kind of giving her like one more chance without like raising the stakes. You know what I mean? Like you're just sending her the book. Um, I like the post it. Yeah. Here's the part about you. You don't (laughs) have to read the whole thing. Make it really, really clear (laughs) and easy. I also think Janae, you're right. I know for me, especially in the last few years, it has been hard for me to read anything, including the things I normally read. Like picking up a book sometimes feels really challenging. So I think kind of having some like grace with that is is key. We're all we're all still kind of in it right now. Right. And then you pick it up and Maybe Instagram is right it. there. It's like how long do you even last without getting yeah. distracted? All the game yeah, the games on my phone are calling me. <laughs> so yeah, your friend might be playing some really good games on her phone. Um don't let this in the relationship. I think she will read it. I think you want to give her time and you don't want to do damage to your friendship while waiting for that time to come. So just hang in there and congrats on the book. You're listening to The Dear Prudence Show. And when we come back, we'll be reading more of your letters. Stay with us. Welcome back to Dear Prudence. I'm here with the co-hosts of Forever 35, Kate and Dory, to answer your letters. The next one is titled, Seriously, No Thanks. It's approaching that time of year again, and I'm sure you're thrilled to get a gift-giving letter. Here goes. Generally, my friends and I don't exchange gifts for the holidays, birthdays, etc. We just do something nice as a group. However, one friend, Jen, buys me gifts every year, and they're often pretty generous. I'm not trying to sound like a Scrooge. I truly do appreciate it. But honestly, gift giving and receiving stresses me out. I have a limited budget, and I keep my gifts to my immediate family and my nieces and nephew. I don't want to have to stress about getting her a gift, not to mention she gets the gift from everyone, her husband and kids. Every year, I say, please don't get me anything, and she does anyway. Last year, she made a comment, just get gifts for my kids, when I yet again insisted she stop. 
and I adore her kids, but if I buy them gifts, I'll feel guilty I'm not getting gifts for all my other friends' kids. How do I make this stop? So what I know from my inbox, especially around the holidays, is there are two kinds of people in the world. On the one hand, you have people who find gifts so meaningful and so important and such an essential part of building relationships and celebrating anything. And on the other hand, you have people who see gifts as a chore, an expense, an annoyance, a burden. And these two kinds of people are always good friends or related (laughs) to each other. (laughs) Often married to each other. Very often married to each other. Oh, that's Um, hilarious. I do not know what this person should do. I don't know. Do you have ideas? I do. Okay. I have like a very strong reaction to this message. So here's what I would do. You have told this people not to get you anything and they keep doing it. They are not going to stop. So, and you had the conversation and this this person said, well, get gifts for their kids. I, I don't think that the, this gift giver actually wants you to get gifts for their kids. They're just trying to keep the line of gift giving open because it means a lot for them to give you a gift. So what you have to do, letter writer, or at least were I in your shoes, you need to let this go. Don't stress about it. You don't have to get anybody gifts that you don't want to get gifts to. And you do not have to reciprocate with a gift. Like I don't think a gift, gift giving is transactional for people who love to give gifts. All I would recommend you do is accept the gift, write this person a handwritten thank you note, and move on. And if you do not like the gift or you're not going to use it, re-gift it or donate it. The end. I think that makes so much sense. If this person loves gift giving, it's not because they're thinking, oh, I really, really hope I get that scented candle in return. No. It's because this is a part of their holiday season and it makes them feel good and they like getting out the wrapping paper under the Christmas tree or whatever. Um, And it's their love language, right? Like this is how this friend shows their love to you. You do not have to, you do not have to do it back. You do not have to then get their kids gifts in the same amount. You do what feels good for you and just accept the gift and know that it's coming from like a place of love. I think that's what I think. That sounds hard, but entirely um, rational. I just think that, I think that moment would be difficult where you're like, thank you so much. Yes, it is. You're totally right. It creates an awkward moment. (laughs) Yeah. You're right. That is fair. But you know, it's better than the awkward moment of having to go shopping for gifts that you don't want to buy and feeling resentful. It's It's a more authentic, awkward moment, right? Yes. That's a good point. I think that these two types of people have such a deep chasm of misunderstanding (laughs) between them um, that it's really hard for one to empathize with the other. And so I just, you know, I think, Kate, you're totally right. Like this person just wants to give the gift and the person, the, the letter writer cannot even really understand that this act of giving the gift is what brings the her friend joy. And then the gift giver truly cannot understand why someone wouldn't want to exchange gifts. Right. Like she just cannot grasp it. <laughs> I wonder if there's a place for having a little self-led friendship couples therapy session about this, where you actually call out the dynamic that's happening like we've just been talking about. So I think we're both very different on this. I understand gifts are so meaningful to you. They're not to me. It feels like a burden. 
Um, it doesn't fit into my life or my budget. I want us to have a strong relationship. I don't want you to feel that you were, your kids are neglected by me. But I also don't want to stop you from giving me a gift if it makes you happy. So how would it be if I just accepted your gift and didn't give you anything back? Would that be okay? Is there another way I could be there for you? Do you think our relationship evens out in the end in other ways because of our other dynamics? You know, is there a place for just really putting it all out there and talking about it? Yeah, maybe maybe you have this conversation with her while you're taking her out to lunch. Yeah. Ooh. I don't know. Which could also be the gift that you get. Like if you feel like you can't, you know, you have to stay in this gift giving cycle, you could say, I'd like to take you out to lunch for the holidays or whatever. You could kind of make it that you don't have to go somewhere fancy. Or the old homemade coupon technique the kids used to use with their parents. This coupon, I would, you know, babysit your kids for one night. They can have a sleepover if you want to get out. That's my gift to you. Write it on a little piece of construction paper. That's a really sweet idea. I would like, that's a fun idea to kind of think of a new way to do that for adult friends. This is Dear Prudence. We need to take a break, but when we come back, more letters from you and advice from us. Stay tuned. I'm Janae, and you're listening to Dear Prudence. Kate, Dory, and I are about to tackle our last question for the day. Are you two ready? Oh, yeah. So ready. This letter is titled, Pressed for Time. I'm 24 and recently started dating a wonderful friend, also 24, after a year of crushing on each other. When the two of us are together, spending time with one another, everything's perfect. The issue is that he wants more time together than I do in this phase. It's not that we like each other in different amounts, I think. We just have very different pre-existing levels of busyness. He dated his college girlfriend for four years, and they spent all their time together, so he has lots of unplanned time he's used to spending with a partner, whereas I was single for college and filled my time with lots of friends and activities that I want to maintain. We've discussed this and agreed to a plan where we see each other three to four times a week in various ways, meals, walks together, longer dates, sleepovers, etc., which feels about right for me, but is less than his ideal. Every so often, he'll talk to me about being sad or jealous when I choose to spend time with friends or do a solo activity rather than spending time with him. He makes a point to say that I'm not doing anything wrong, and this is about his own insecurities. He doesn't want me to feel guilty. He just wants to be honest about his feelings in the name of sharing them with one another. The thing is, this does make me feel sad and guilty for hurting him, even though I know that I'm not doing anything wrong. This then compounds into feeling less able to enjoy the activity away from him as much because I'm thinking about how it makes him sad. I'm all for being honest about feelings, but would it be appropriate to ask him not to share these feelings of sadness and jealousy with me? Especially since I already know broadly that they exist and try to be mindful of his preferences when planning my time. How can I respond in a way that addresses his needs while not feeling guilty for spending time away? Is this just incompatibility? Kate, tell me if I'm mischaracterizing this, but I feel like I've been accused of being like too doctrinaire about being like, this person is not for you. 
But I read this. Uh, but you're normally right. And the, the red flags were just like popping up every, every, like every sentence. There was like another red flag. And I am not a doctor. I'm not a therapist. But I get like strong codependency vibes here. And I also get like some controlling vibes here of like he wants to be controlling how much time you spend together and he wants it all to be with him. Um, I, I don't like this for you. Um, there's a great book called codependent no more. You might just want to pick it up and like leaf through it and see if at least just see if it resonates with you. That's all. Yeah. I was, I was going to say as like the Gen Z's say this has like red flag energy. I, I don't like the same, like I'm being honest with you because I want in the name of being honest that to me, sometimes this feels manipulative and your response seems, I I, I get it. I would, I would totally feel guilty even, and even though I under, I would understand that I don't have a reason to be, um, I think if this you want to try to keep working on this relationship, you can keep communicating this. And if it doesn't change, like this person is not the right person for you in that way. Um, again, not any sort of, you know, licensed professional, but I think ultimately, like if their behavior is not changing, you shouldn't have to change your behavior here. Yes, I agree, Janae. It is a a matter of incompatibility, I think. No matter how wonderful they are and the crush and all that stuff, sometimes when you get together in a romantic relationship, it just doesn't, you know, it doesn't always connect in the way that you hope it would, and that's okay. Yeah, on my first read, I didn't necessarily see manipulative and codependent red flags waving everywhere, but I did see, sort of like in the gift-giving question, two different approaches colliding. So I think if you're, um, say you're 50 and you've been married for 20 years, it's normal for the default to be you spend each evening together and the times you spend away from each other are the exception. If you're 19 and you've been dating for six months, it's normal that you spend most of your time with your friends. Like the default is doing your own thing and you make plans to hang out together And 24, to me, feels closer to that end where you should not be together every single day. You're still young. Your friends are super important to you. You're figuring out who you are. I like the letter writer's approach, but I think her boyfriend is already in the um, grown-up, super serious, we're together every single day and night, unless otherwise stated and cleared with each other mode. And I don't think that's healthy. It's healthy if he finds someone else who's like that, right? If you want to be with your partner all the time, go for it and enjoy. But the feeling, the way she's feeling um, stressed out, unable to enjoy her time with her friends, that's what really, really worries me about it. And let's give him some credit. Maybe he is just a clingy person who is an open book about his emotions. Maybe. Even if that's the case and he's the kindest, most gentle person in the world, you don't feel good in this relationship. And relationships are for making you feel better and making your life better. So I have to say, I think the letter writer is asking the wrong questions. I don't think telling him just to stop talking about how he feels 
is the right approach, totally. right? Because that's just putting a Band-Aid on it. Yes. You already know. Yes. You already know that every time you're with your friends, he's sad. I don't think asking someone not to mention things anymore is ever really going to be the solution um, to conversations about a deeper relationship issue like this. Yeah, I think I think that's a really good point. You know, and I, I do, assuming the best intentions of the other person, you know, I do appreciate that he is just trying to share his feelings and, and be honest and isn't trying to create a situation, you know, stewing in guilt. Um, but I do think, I think both of you touching on like the age of this writer, 24 is like, you don't need to feel trapped in a relationship you don't you never you no one ever you know what, for that let me, let me start again yes Tori. <laughs> 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 nobody needs to feel trapped in a relationship but i think like if this is totally okay if this is not what you want in a relationship right now or ever yeah i think letter writer you said i know i'm not doing anything wrong and i think that is the very healthy part of you speaking up and you need to listen to that part of you and i think the question for him is not can you stop talking about this but can you be okay with this? Because if you can't be okay with it, then we might be better off in relationships with other people. And he, he's going to have to, you know, obviously he likes you very much. He wants to be around you 100% of the time. So he's either going to have to kind of mature or find a way to distract himself um, or, you know, get back on the apps. Those are all the questions we have for this week. It's been fun and hopefully helpful. Kate and Dory, thank you so much. Thank you. This was so fun. Thank you for having us. For more of Kate and Dory, listen to their podcast, Forever 35. New episodes every Wednesday. And you can find bonus content on Patreon. Do you need help getting along with partners, relatives, coworkers, and people in general? Write to me. Go to slate.com forward slash prudy. That's slate.com forward slash P-R-U-D-I-E. The Dear Prudence column publishes every Thursday. If you'd like to hear your question answered on the podcast, we are looking for letter writers who would be comfortable recording their questions for the show. You can stay anonymous. Dear Prudence is produced by Sierra Spragley-Ricks with a special thanks to Vic Whitley-Berry. Editorial help from Paola de Verona. Daisy Rosario is Senior Supervising Producer, and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of Audio. I'm your dear Prudence, Janae Desmond-Harris. Until next time!